As I've told you, I've been thinking a little bit about the concept of trusting God. What does it mean to trust God? And partly I'm thinking about this because the Bible says hundreds of times that we ought to trust the Lord. Different versions of those phrases like trust in God or Jesus will say, trust me or trust God, trust in me as well. Hundreds of times it, it tells us that this is something that we need to do as Christians, as followers of Jesus. So that makes it really important. If the Bible says it hundreds of times, it's important. But I also think that it's important to talk about things that become these Christian quips. We learn to say things to one another, like you just need to trust God. And this is something we say. It's something you probably have heard before. But when a statement like that shows up often, I think we can misunderstand what it means. So we get confused. What, what does it really mean to trust God? Like I've always thought it was funny that when a person's going through a situation and we don't know what else to say, we say, well, you just need to trust the Lord. And it kind of subtly implies that's not what you were already doing. <laughs> I don't know if you think like I do, but it's, it, there's this implication like maybe you weren't doing that already. No, friends, listen, trusting God is a posture of the heart. It's not a reaction to a circumstance. The, the Bible teaches it one way, but I think sometimes when we talk like this, when we say things like this, we don't mean that. We don't mean trust God because you haven't. We don't mean when all else fails, your last-ditch last effort is to finally trust God. We don't mean it that way, but I do think because we say it often enough in these kind of contexts, we misunderstand what it really means. That's what happens. We don't adopt a new way of thinking about it. I think it just veils over what the Lord really uh, has for us in that. It's not an afterthought. Trusting God is not an afterthought. It's a posture of our life. It's a way, uh, it's the way that we live. But I think humans have trust issues. <laughs> I'm looking at a lot of them. And I'd, I think highly of you, but I think everybody has uh, trust issues. Like we, and I don't mean like the psychological category of trust issues. So if you're a counselor, like power down for a second. I mean, <laughs> trust is a spectrum. I trust everybody with five bucks. Hundred dollars, I got to think a little bit about it. Thousand bucks, my kids. All right, we're starting like, like you see, trust is a spectrum. You understand what I'm saying? Like we don't trust everybody with, with, uh, with everything. With most people or on a general level, uh, we, we, we would trust most people on ge with general things. When it comes to private matters, we trust few. With very sensitive issues, maybe the list gets really small. Or it could be that you're in a season of your life where you don't know who those people are. Who can I talk to about this thing? We have trust issues. And I think if you're the person that says, oh, I, I'm very trusting, you have not taught young people how to drive yet. <laughs> That's all your problem is. <laughs> you haven't, because you learn really quickly that you don't trust them at all. You don't. <laughs> you got to check their ID a few times, make sure if they pass the qualified tests and everything. Um, and then you also learn how to pray in that context. <laughs> you learn how to call. If you're struggling with your prayer life, just start to teach a young person how to drive. You'll learn how to call on God right quick. Can I get an amen from somebody? All right. Because <laughs> I want, listen, we all were that before. I don't know what our parents or loved ones had to go through. But with more life lived and 
we experience betrayal and broken promises and empty threats and failed relationships, it actually causes our trust to grow thin with people. That's, that's typical. So, and I believe that which happens between us as human beings, I think it bleeds into our relationship with God. The more brokenness we have with each other, the more that as we read the scripture and it says, trust in me, trust in God. If we're honest, it becomes harder to do that when what we've known is broken promises, what we've known is failed relationships, empty threats. And when God's word says, He's, this is solid, this is truth, you can stand on this. We haven't known that in our life. And so learning how to trust him is not automatic. It's something that takes, it's a maturation process is what, I'm, what I believe it is. But scripture calls us to trust the Lord in every way with everything, no matter what. That's what the Bible teaches. And so I want to dive into this. And the way that I want to do it is look at four questions. I want to answer four questions about trusting God today. And the first one is this, what does it not mean to trust God? What does it not mean to trust God. Three things. Number one, it does not mean to trust God when we believe that God will cause everything to go the way we want it to. And what I mean by this is that you could have a relationship or a job scenario, something about school or finances, ministry, church. We all are praying for, believing for, asking God to fulfill something in our life. And we very well could believe that this is what God has for us. This is what the Lord is doing in my life. This is, what, this is what I believe his path is for me. And so I've put all of my faith in, into that. Maybe it is I put it into that outcome. And then when that thing doesn't come to pass, we're sort of left with this question, well, I trusted God, but what I thought he was doing in my life didn't happen. So what's wrong with me or what's wrong with my faith or what's wrong with the way that I live my Christian life? And friends, I just want to remind you that trusting God does not mean that everything we think should happen will actually happen in our life. Trusting God means that if things don't happen the way that we wanted them to or they should have, we still put all of our life into his hands. But it's not hard to get confused when we thought one thing and prayed one thing and it didn't happen. Now that we're sitting here kind of confused, well, I thought and I believed. And we may well have done that, but we still have to know that trusting God does not mean everything is going to work out the way that we thought. This is an assumption on our part. The disciples had lots of assumptions. They're walking with Jesus for several years at this point, and Jesus is about to go to the cross, and they don't want the gig to stop. They love the itinerant ministry. They appreciate the miracle signs, wonders, and they're a part of the Jesus crowd. They're getting a lot of accolades by being alongside him, the thrill, the excitement, everything they enjoy, they love. And Jesus had been telling them the whole time, three times in the book of Mark, but I'm sure he said it more, that he was going to be rejected, that he was going uh, to be beaten, he was going to be crucified, die, and rise from the dead. He kept saying that. It was like the biggest buzzkill to the disciples' vision for their life. The disciples were like, this is going great. Everywhere we go, there's a house, there's food, there's money. People want to be around us. They've never had this in their life. Of course they love this life. They love the Jesus Club. They want, <laughs> they want this thing to keep going. And so they had these assumptions about life and and they were trusting God by walking with him everywhere that, that he went, they would go. 
They left everything else behind. And so they have this vision, for sure they have this vision for their life. And Jesus would kill all that by saying things like this in John 16. Well, I would say to you, verse 1, he says to them, I'm saying these things to you so that you don't fall away. You should underline that in your Bible. Jesus said things to the disciples so that they wouldn't fall away, and yet all of them did. Initially, I said this, but look what he says in verse 33. These things I have spoken to you. Now, just to remind you real quickly what these things are, Jesus had just told them that the world is going to hate you because you love me and you love my word. You're going to get persecuted. I'm physically going to leave and the Holy Spirit's going to come. Now, they were really confused by all that stuff. And then he said, these things I have spoken to you so that in me, you might have peace in the world, you're going to have tribulation or trials or difficulties, but take courage. I've overcome the world. Jesus had this way about him where he would prophetically tell them what was going to happen to them because it was not the vision of their life. It was not what they wanted to have happen. So in advance, he told them this stuff because he wanted them to have peace. He wanted them to have courage, but ultimately he wanted them to trust him explicitly. He's worthy of that. He's faithful to all that is true and right and what he says. And so I just believe that we can be very much like them. We think all these things are supposed to happen and yet, um, and yet they don't. So trusting him cannot mean everything goes the way that we thought or the way that we wanted. Number two is we believe sometimes that God will explain everything that doesn't make sense. That's not what it means to trust God. There are a lot of things in life that don't make sense. There are a lot of things that happen in your life. Like, why did this happen? Why did this, why was this so bad when it happened? Why, uh, why not, why didn't it happen to them? No, I wouldn't ask that, but <laughs> why did I have this loss? Why did I lose this job? This whole path, why, why did I have to close my business? Why am I estranged from my loved ones when all I've ever tried to do was love them and be present for them? Why? Why did my kids walk away from the Lord? There are a lot of whys in life. Why? I prayed. I did everything I was supposed to. I trusted God. I believed God. If I did all of that, then why is it like this? It's not hard for us to get there. It's actually very, uh, very easy. God doesn't explain all that to us, does he? If you lived as a Christian for any length of time, one thing you do know is you still have why questions. God has not explained them to us. And I want to tell you, sometimes he can't explain those things to us. And he won't explain them to us. His, he has a purpose for all that. And we just trust him. God, I, just tr I don't understand this, but I trust you. That's the posture of trust. Trust is not he will tell me why. He, he, won't. he won't do that most of the time. Look, I think Isaiah was right clearly. It's inspired of the Spirit. My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. And I think sometimes that could be interpreted, if I tried to explain it to you, it'd be like trying to explain cryptocurrency to a two-year-old <laughs> or cryptocurrency to a 40-year-old, <laughs> for that matter. What the heck is the blockchain? I don't know. Um, <laughs> I even bought the book, Blockchain for Dummies, <laughs> and I felt dumber afterwards. So... Or the stock market. You try to explain the stock market to a two-year-old. They don't care. They don't understand what you're talking about. They really don't. God can't, all, we're not, he doesn't look down on us. That's not what I mean. But he, there are things that only God knows. And we're not, Jesus said in John 16 also, there are many more things I desire to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. 
That word bear, it means it, you don't have the strength to come up under and hold the weight of the revelation that I would give to you. If I were to tell you the truth about this situation, you couldn't carry it. And so he talks to them about the Holy Spirit's going to come and reveal all things to you, but he doesn't do that in one lump sum. It takes a life of walking with the Lord. So he doesn't explain everything to us. Number three, trusting God does not mean that all things that happen are God's will. Some people have this deterministic sort of fatalism, and it's an opposite extreme in my view. This, there's this idea that all things that happen in my life come from God's hand, or all things have a, per, have a reason. You know, this happened for a reason. Everything happens for a reason. Yeah, sometimes that reason is that was a very evil person on the other end of that. <laughs> Or that person's rude or mean, or that person didn't think about you. That it isn't from God's hand. That is a theological perspective, and I'm not trying to disrespect people that are in that camp, but I certainly am not. Uh, this is a view of God's sovereignty that suggests He's controlling every detail of human life, every stoplight, every good and bad thing. Like God is the one that controls every little detail. And I think this mentality can warp our view of a good God who has set his plan in motion. I think some people don't walk away from God. I think they walk away of the, from the version of God that they've been taught. That isn't, really who, uh, that isn't really who he is. So here's what I'll tell you. God is the primary cause of all things, right? I, I won't get into the theological lesson on apologetics here, but God is the primary cause of all things. He's the creator, right? So he created human beings. He gave us a free will. He created the devil as well. God is the primary cause of all things. God is sovereign. He has all power over all things. God is omniscient. That means he knows past, present, and future. And so this can confuse us. People could say, well, if God knew everything, then why did things go the way they did? Because he made a choice in his sovereignty to give us choices. God made a sovereign choice. He had all power to do this. He said, I'm going to give you choices. One of the best ways I can explain this, which is really lame, but you guys are going to smile and appreciate it, I think, I hope. And you're going to love me anyways. All right, thank you. Because it's Christian to do that. It's like God is the one that's driving the car. And he's going to get us to the ultimate destination, no matter what. But we are like the kids that are in the car on that long drive. And he allows us to change the music station and turn the temperature up to 100 degrees. It could be a very unpleasant car ride. I mean, it could stink. Because that can happen with kids long drives. It could be extremely hot or cold, and you could be listening to some terrible music. But you're going to get there because the person that is driving is determined to get us where we need to go. But it could be a very unpleasant car ride. Some things that happen in life are not from God's hand. They're from each other. They're from the devil. Some things are from God. But ultimately, God is the one that has his hand on our planet and our life and gets us where we're ultimately destined to go. That's the best way I can share that with you. Uh, but why do things happen? Romans 8.28 says this, for we know that all things, everybody say all things. all things, all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. It does not say God authored all things. It says we know, Paul's talking about a concession here. He's saying, we know that all things that do happen, God will use them and he'll work them together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And then verse 29, he tells us what 
the purpose is. For those whom he foreknew, that doesn't mean he predestined them for salvation. It means he foreknew they would choose salvation. For those whom he foreknew, he saw what they would do in advance, he predestined them to be conformed to the image of his son, the likeness of Jesus. That's what God's doing in our life. He's conforming us to the image of Jesus Christ. All things do work together, but all things are not authored by God. He didn't do all the terrible things to us in our life. He didn't. And we need to understand that. So trusting God does not mean, well, you know, God gave me this sickness. God gave me this disease. And I've, I've argued with people about this, and I won't do it today, but I just want to tell you, I have had people say to me, well, God is, they do, they believe this determinism to the point where God's the one that gives sickness to teach us a lesson. God did not give somebody sickness to teach them a lesson. That's not how he is. In fact, he has a hundred ways to teach us lessons. <laughs> one, the primary way that God teaches us a lesson is he just pulls his hand off us for a second and he lets us experience our own decisions. And we act like God's the one that did that. Oh man, that's bad, bad theology. I've had people come to me with the scripture in Isaiah where it talks about there's this king and uh, God punishes that king. He gives him a sickness and a disease. He said, look, God does give sickness and disease to people sometimes. And I go, you are comparing your grandmother to a wicked king that was oppressing his people. There's a bad parallel theologically. It's not a healthy way to do theology. It's just not. It's not apples for apples. I said, yes, has God give sickness to people in the Old Testament? Was there severe punishment at times? Severe, what I'd call severe judgment? There was severe judgment in the Old Testament. But there's a reason for it. It wasn't just to teach them a vague lesson that nobody can actually pin down. Well, I guess God's not teaching me a lesson. If God's gonna be that severe with us, tell me the lesson. You better know the lesson. But we get through that thing and we have no idea what the lesson was. I, that, friends, that's, God's not the author of confusion. Trusting God is not passive waiting. It's active obedience to his word and confident expectation that God is at work, and he will use all things, but it doesn't mean all things are from him. So that's what, trusting God does not mean those things, but what does actually, uh, what does it actually mean to trust God? The Bible teaches a heart disposition, a way of life, and a response to the winds and the waves that are inevitable. It's both. It's not just reactive. It's primarily proactive. It's a posture, but it also is when you get into a situation you've never been in before, you're in a chapter of life, you've never had to face these things, you now begin to trust the Lord with this situation. It is true that we do that, but it's going to be very difficult to do that if we're not already doing it. Jesus said in Matthew chapter seven that we are to build our life, what, on the rock. Remember that? The wise person built their life on the rock. What revealed what these people, these two wise and foolish, had built their life on. It was the storms, the winds, the waves, and the storms. It's not a good idea to build your life in Christ during the storm. That's, that'd be really hard to do. Jesus is saying the storm reveals what your life is already built on. So what I'm saying is trusting God is what we are actively doing today. And then when the storm comes, we just fortify the way we've already been living. But I want to share with you a passage that we know very well that speaks into this, Proverbs 3 and verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and then he will make your path straight. The Hebrew word here for trust is used 118 times in the Old Testament. Everybody say important. <laughs> 118 times when you see the word trust in the Old Testament, primary word there is this same word. And this is what it means in totality to be totally reliant on 
and to, be, to, have full, to put full confidence in someone or something. That's the primary meaning, but it also has a number of addendums, meanings to it. It means to trust in and to feel safe to the point that we are carefree. It doesn't mean careless. It means that we're so carefree, we don't have to look backwards. That we so trust God, we don't have to wonder about what might happen. That, that's the implication of this word. It's a very powerful word. We put everything into God to the point where we know that we know that we know. I don't got to look back. I don't got to wonder what's coming. He says three things. Trust him with all your heart, everything that we are, our mind, our will, and our emotions. Our mind is the way that we think. Remember, my thoughts are not your thoughts. We trust God with the thoughts. You're going to have thoughts that are opposite of, um, of what you should think at times. <laughs> if you're like me, I've got an overstimulated thought life. At least that's what I think. <laughs> and I can't help it. I'll be worshiping, and I've just got all kinds of thoughts coming to me. And I'll be preaching and looking right at you, and I'll be, I can't stop it. I've asked God to do it, and it hasn't happened. And it doesn't make me extra smart. It makes me sometimes feel extra dumb. But I, I have all these thoughts, and they're not always in line with the way that I believe the Bible teaches. And so I have to learn how to submit those thoughts to the Lord. I have to lay those thoughts down. The Bible promises, says we have the mind of Christ. But how many of you realize like every thought you think is not the mind of you like, that is not the way Christ thought for sure. <laughs> Christ was not thinking that. And so you take those thoughts before they become strongholds and you submit them to the Lord. It says with all your heart, that's the centrality of who you are. So your mind, your will, the decisions of your life and your emotions, the way that we feel. My feelings betray me. How about you? Sometimes I don't even know what's going on, but I feel a certain way. And I have to realize my vulnerabilities, my feelings, I have to submit those to Jesus. I trust God with all of my heart, the way that I feel. I have to do that. We're going to have these feelings. Feelings are real, but they're not always right. The second is do not lean on your own understanding. This is like physically leaning on and relying on um, our own understanding like crutches. And he wants us to get rid of the crutches. Don't lean on your own understanding. You're going to have this conflict at times. Conventional wisdom, things that we ought to do, things that make sense to us. There have got to be times in our life as followers of Jesus where we choose what God's word says, even though it doesn't seem like the thing that we would normally do. That's called the life of faith. I'll give you an example. Since I talked about giving a bunch, let's just jump into that river and swim around a little bit. I've watched for years people struggle with giving, becoming generous. And I realize how it can become a hard topic in church. It's not for me, but I know, I know it can because people have been mistreated or they've seen money abused and misused. I get that. I do. And that's sad and it sucks. And may God not allow any of us to, to do that, especially with our church funds. But I've watched people struggle with their generosity outside of just giving to and through the local church, but just giving to people and funding things that they could afford to fund. And the Holy Spirit was tapping on their heart. And they're just like, oh, you know, I don't know. And, and they've struggled with that. You know, you know what the issue is? It's trust. It's trust. The Bible promises that when we're willing to be generous, he provides seed to the sower. That means you've got to sow what you have. And when you sow, you realize there's more there. It's an amazing principle. But you can't learn the principle unless you practice it. 
I mean, you could study it. This is what the Greek says. This is what the word says. You can know all that. And all it is is guilt for what you're not doing until you understand that you're trusting the Lord with your finances, realizing they're not mine anyways. That is a freeing experience when we realize that, yes, we need to be responsible with what we've been entrusted, but we also have to become generous people. And that doesn't happen overnight. But as we learn those principles, we stop struggling with what the Bible says, and we realize that God will continue to be our source and supply. And that's just one area. I mean, there's a lot of other areas. But if we lean on our own understanding, we're going to build bigger barns, and we're going to save more money, and we're going to do all... Because look, the market's going down, and house prices are crashing, and, and, and interest rates are high, and, and friends, the cycle keeps... How many of you have been living life, and this is just what it's like? The voice of the world, don't do, don't, don't do that. <laughs> Just keep saving, have that big nest egg, and, and, and you'll be fine. That's what it says, you'll be fine. Be responsible, of course, but at what point is it irresponsible? At what point is it just not trusting God? Lean not on your own understanding. This is what I have to do in order for my life to be what it should be. Number three is in all your ways, acknowledge him. That's in all of our plans and our pursuits. We consider the will of God. We consider God's word. This is proactive and ongoing. This isn't like as we live life, then we go, oh, what does God's word say? It's a posture that we start with and we stay with. It's the way that we start. It's the way that we live. So we consider God's will in our pursuits in our decisions. We consider God's word. Is this the right thing? Should I be doing this? Should I be saying this? It starts this way, but it stays, it stays this way in an, ongoing, in an ongoing way. We're acknowledging that God knows everything, including he knows what's best for me. He knows what's best for me. I want to talk to young people in the room for a little bit. You got your future ahead of you. And I know what happens. You get really worried. You get really worried. You do. And if you haven't yet, you will. You get really worried, like, what, what should I be? And, and there's all this pressure to, like, I need to choose my career, and I don't want to choose the wrong one. How many of you people that are over, like, 30, 40, you feel like when you were 15, 18, you chose your career, and you didn't end up there? Come on, can I get a raise? How many of you just, like, I ain't raising my hand at all? <laughs> yeah. I still don't know what I'm supposed to do. I'm here, aren't I? <laughs> I knew I was supposed to breathe, and I kept doing that. Amen. I, I, I did it. Uh, but we get, when you're young, you're like, what college and all this stuff. I just want to tell you, just, you trust the Lord, even if you're uncertain and you're not fully sure, just acknowledge God. Just acknowledge God. I'm doing my best, Lord. I'm putting this before you. I'm making this decision. But friends, are you going to have levels of uncertainty? Yes. I swear, practically everything I've done in my life, there's been a little voice of uncertainty right there. Oh, I'm not really sure. Is it really the Lord? Here's the thing. I'm not the Lord, so I can't know. But I know that God is with me. I trust God in the midst of it, even if I have levels of uncertainty. And here's the reality, too, is you're young, you can course correct. And that's the beautiful thing about, uh, about following the Lord. Trusting God is not automatic. And we mature in our trust in him, just as we mature in Christ. I want to give you an example, or at least this is just something that comes to my mind. When kids are small, most kids, not all kids, they're very trusting. Every now and again, I'll have a, we have several 
baby and child dedications this weekend. So every now and again, I'm, I'm praying for a child and I'll look at them as I grab their foot or their hand and I say, you belong to Jesus. But when I do that, I could say they, their eyebrows, they crinkle. <laughs> I'm like, you don't trust me at all. You know, <laughs> I've even had kids hit my hand away, kick at me. You know, it's just everything. I, it's, it's amazing. It's just, it's just uh, the blooper reel is growing. But most kids, they have a lot of trust when they're young. And they evidence that. Like little boys, they'll get on the top of a couch and they'll just jump off and expect you to catch them. And most of the time you do. But a couple times you just want to see what happens. Don't you? you just want to see what, see what happens there. And they bounce and they come back and they do it, they do it again. But they learn in life to not trust so much when you teach them how to ride a bike. I was watching this woman, <laughs> this is terrible, so I feel really bad for her, but she doesn't go to our church and I don't even know her name, so. <laughs> I watched this woman teaching her son how to ride a bike one time and he was not okay with this. He was, I'm gonna fall, I'm gonna fall. And it was a self-fulfilling prophecy, but he he, he was, I'm going to fall. Mom, you're terrible. And she's like, no, trust me. You can do it. Uh, just like a good mom, good dad. You trust me. You can do it. Just keep going. Just, just go for it. Just battle really hard, fast, all that stuff. And for like three or four seconds, the kid did really good. She took her hands off and, and he was flying and it <laughs> scraped his leg, a little blood, little scratch or whatever. And you'd have thought somebody stabbed him, but he, he gets up. This is what he said exactly, and this was the part that was mildly funny to me, but I held it in. He said, I hate you. <laughs> he did. He said to his mom, I hate you. You knew this was going to happen. <laughs> and, um, and she wasn't laughing. She wasn't. But what's interesting is the kids, they start out trusting, but then as challenges grow, they have less trust, and then they have a painful experience. And I bet you it took a little while for him to get over his, his trust issues with, uh, with his mom. He thought, I trusted you. I trusted that if I did what you said, I wouldn't have any pain. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be on the ground. I wouldn't have any blood. I trusted you. That's what trust meant to the kid. This is what we think when we're young. I trusted you that I wouldn't have to go through anything. You told me to, and look what happened. But the mom knew something the kid didn't know. And I think we're a lot like this. The mom knew that if you don't go through this, and sometimes you might have to experience pain, you'll never ride a bike. You'll never be able to do what you want to do if you don't go through this. So you've got to trust me that even if you have a painful experience, it's actually part of the process to get you where you need to go. And I think as Christians, we can be like that. Lord, I trusted you. What if it's just part of life's process to get us where we need to go and he didn't explain all that to us because we couldn't understand it anyways? We've got to get back on that bike and ride. And so this is the maturation process of learning how to trust God. Pastor Ben, do you trust God? I do. I trust God, but I don't trust God at the level that I'm going to need to in 2024 or 2025, there are things that I have never met yet. 
I have never met some of the things that are going to happen. Some of you have experienced losses that I have no words for. Experiences of pain. I have no idea how to frame up or understand or give proper counsel to. All I know is you can trust God. That's what we know. We can trust God no matter what. It doesn't make sense. I didn't want this to be this. I can trust God. Get back on the bike and keep riding through life and God will get you where you and I need to go. Keep trusting him. He's the only one worthy of that kind of trust. Well, you might say, well, Pastor Ben, why do we not trust God explicitly? I'm just assuming. I already referenced we have some assumptions and we have often some immaturity. That's normal. That's a part of life. But there are other things. And part of it is that we trust in other things rather than God. And they take the place of where, what we should put into his hands, of, of us putting all, trusting in God with all of our heart because we put our heart into other things. Like we trust in riches and wealth. Proverbs eleven twenty eight says, he who trusts in riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like the green, like the green leaf. I've already talked enough about money. Number two, we trust in ourselves. Proverbs 28, 26. He who trusts in his own heart is a fool, but he who walks wisely, which I believe is to trust the Lord, will be delivered. I think this is about control. We struggle with control. Anybody have control issues? Can I get a show of hands? I'm going to direct you this way after the service. We're going to have a mass deliverance. It's a control thing. We want to control our reality, and oftentimes the gap is not comfortable. Whenever I do take a Sabbath, <laughs> I'm growing. Whenever I rest, you take a day of rest, one of the things that I have learned about resting in God is that I can trust that God is at work even when I'm not. I can trust that God is producing something in and through my life even if my hands aren't on it. Part of resting is not taking a break and kicking your feet up or like, oh, I'm so tired. <laughs> you're still going to be tired. You get back from vacation and you're like, oh, I'm so tired. I need a vacation for my vacation. <laughs> That's what people say that have kids because <laughs> he's like, whenever it's just me and you, it's going to be amazing. Bridget and I have never known one year without kids, if you know our story, uh, because I, when we ma were married, we had a 9 and 11-year-old. So for these 20 years, we've never, we've ne almost 20 years, we've never known that, so I can't, I can't wait. <laughs> I can't wait. But there's this thing about control where we've got to control our own life. At some point, and in some circumstances, we just have to learn how to leave things in God's hands, friends. That's what it means. Back off and back up and say, Lord, I trust you. I can't control this, right? You guys have things in your life you can't control? I can't control. You won't be able to. So we have to know where that line is. We need to be responsible in what we do, but there are just times where we have to leave it in God's hands. We wake up in the morning and we have that feeling and that thought, I trust you, Lord, I leave it in your hands. That's why the power of prayer is so important. Number three is we trust in the strength of a nation. In Isaiah 30, Judah was warned not to ally with Egypt and trust in their strength for their protection. They went down there because they had more firepower 
and more manpower. They had the chariots. That's why there are these passages. Do not trust in chariots <laughs> because you could win battles. But Israel didn't trust the Lord to overcome in their circumstance. So they went down to Egypt and they allied with somebody and were warned not to do it. They trusted in the strength of a nation to take over them rather than God. And friends, I think we have seen this and we see it every election cycle where there is this overwhelming pressure to make sure that the right people are in the right place to do the right thing and we get let down. Listen, I love our politicians and I pray for all them, but nobody even, we're living in a time where you can't trust the promise of a politician the higher up they go. And so we, they say, oh, we're going to deal with poverty and we're going to, man, we're going to bring the country together. Yeah, right. Jesus is going to bring people together and he does it through the gospel. I don't believe you. I'm never going to believe you. I'm going to pray for you. That's what the Bible says. First Timothy chapter two, pray for those that are in authority. I'm not making fun of them. Their job is difficult. Um, they need to make righteous and right decisions for people. But my trust is not in our nation. My trust is not in any national leader. My prayer is for them for sure. And I want to live my life rightly in a way where I respect and I honor and I submit. But my whole trust, our trust is in the Lord. We trust in the idols of, of our day. The things that we lean on to save us or heal us or deliver us or comfort us. Um, we have to know what those things are in our, in our life. I got to move on quickly, but I was thinking about something really lame, but you, you might uh, remember this, so I figured for you. Uh, you know when you go to like a 7-Eleven or an AMPM and they have those little rabbit's foot charms? You guys seen those? And hopefully you don't have one, unless it's from a real rabbit in your yard, because we have too many of those. <laughs> No, I'm, not, I'm, not encouraging, I'm not encouraging anything. I just don't know where they all come from. You see, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing here. I, I just got back from vacation. I, don't, I love God. So, but I just, I've always thought it's funny. Like we, these little horoscopes, I'm a Sagittarius. <laughs> it's like, so? Uh, I've got this little rabbit charm. This thing is going to bring me good luck. It's like, well, it didn't for the rabbit. But... But we, that's how foolish it is to trust in idols and not in God. That's how foolish it is. We also trust in other people. Now, we should trust people, but not in a salvational way, not in a, as people are our savior. We put too much on other people. We put too much on our spouse. We put too much on our parents, our kids. We put too much on our boss. We put too much on other people in our life. And they're not Jesus. They're not God. They can't do what only he can. We have to know the line of how much we can trust people and not put too much on them. Trust in God. It's too easy to fall into the trap of putting too much into other people, and we have to know the line. So the question is, how do we trust God entirely? Number one is we remind ourselves of who God is and what God has done. When we stand in the face of a challenge, we just have to remember the same God that brought us here, he's gonna bring us through. And I know that 
is one of those things that we say in church and we say to each other, but it is so true. You have to recall the faithfulness of God when you're in a challenge or you're facing a thing that you've never had to walk through before. You have to recall that God is good and that he knows the beginning and the end and nothing is lost on him. And he absolutely loves you and he's with you right now. I don't feel his presence, but I know he's here. You have to recall the truth of God in your life at times there are things that we've got to do. Say it out loud. Say it with your own words. Say it. Pray it. Sing it. This is what we do as a people. And it's so important. All these voices just baptizing us with falsehood and lies. That's why we speak against the darkness like a bright light. And we say, no, I know God is good, even if I don't know what is happening right now. We have to say those things. We have to just say them. Even if God hasn't done it Something for us, one of the reasons that we share testimonies with each other in every environment that we can is because if he's done it for another person, it means that's what he's like and he can do it for me. We pray into that. I love to hear the testimony of the Lord. Yes, sometimes I get a little jealous because <laughs> I was like, wow, that happened for you. Hasn't happened for me yet. But it can, you understand? And it keeps hope alive. It keeps that flame bright. We have to believe that this is what God is like. He's faithful, he's merciful, he's all-knowing. God is patient and he's eternal. His eternal purpose. What we're trusting in is not just temporary things. When those things fade or we don't get what we've asked for, we remember that we're in this for the long haul with God who secured permanently that for us on our behalf. Number two is we respond to God in every uh, circumstance. I don't wanna read this whole passage to you, but this is such a powerful passage where Peter is writing to the scattered churches in 1 Peter 5 and verse 6. He says, therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he might exalt you at the proper time. And watch this, casting all your anxiety. This word means cares or worries or fears. Casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be sober of spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour but resist him. Notice how Peter says, cast all of these things onto God because he cares for you. It's like saying this word cast means throw. Don't negotiate with it. Don't hold on to it. Don't walk with it for a long time. Every time you think about it, every time you feel it, it's a little strong. It says, cast them, throw them onto the cart <laughs> of, of God because he can carry those burdens out of our life. We are not capable to carry most of these things in life. We don't have to. We're not supposed to. We cast them on the Lord. He's the only one that knows what to do with them. And aren't you thankful that we can even do that? That this is all we have to do. And you say, well, Ben, I, I did that before I came here and I'm still feeling it. Do it again. Do it again. All your worries, your cares, your fears, your concerns, the things that burden you. The second part of this verse is connected to our ability or inability uh, to do this. It says the enemy is watching and waiting for those who are overcome and burdened. Have you ever connected this verse together? It says, cast all your anxieties onto him. And then the next verse is, be on alert, be sober, because the enemy, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Who does he devour? He devours people that are taking on more burdens than they can carry. So he says, do this, but be aware. I, and I'm just suggesting, be aware. If you don't do this and you carry too much, the enemy will pick you off because you're not running light. This is weighing you down. And as it's weighing you down, you move away from the pack. And when you move away from the pack, he picks you off. 
So you've got to be sober. You've got to be alert. As we're isolating ourselves off in the weariness of, of life and the burdens that we carry. The enemy is looking for such a one. But the Lord just says, all you got to do is cast these things onto me. Respond when you're going through it. Those who practice this simple trust in God will experience the freedom that's on the other end. That's what it's about. And then the last thing is this, remain close to Jesus uh, every day. I was thinking about Advent, and we're doing that this, uh, this season, and we light a candle that represents something Jesus brought into our world. Jesus is our hope. Jesus is our peace. Jesus is our joy. Jesus is the love of the Father. And C.S. Lewis said this beautifully, but it's all throughout the Scripture Jesus doesn't just give us hope, he is our hope. Jesus doesn't just give us joy, he is joy. What we need to do is stand close to him. And the closer we are, the more proximity that we have to Jesus, the more joy we experience. The further away we get from him, it's a concept. It's an idea. It's something that we ought to have and we don't. And we wonder why. It's not just what's inside of us, it is by the Spirit. But as we're close to Jesus, this is what John 15 says. It says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Remain in me. Remain in me. Apart from me, you can do nothing, but remain in me. This is just be mindful of, be connected to, be close with, be connected to. As we remain close to Jesus, we do experience all these things. And one of them is greater trust. The more we see him, the more we hear him, the closer we are with him, the easier it is to trust him. It's very difficult outside of that. Jesus said in John 14, 1, this is the amplified version. Do not let your heart be troubled, afraid, or cowardly. Believe confidently in God and trust in Him. Have faith, hold on to it, rely on it, keep going, and believe also in me. Trust in God and trust also uh, in me. Do not let your heart be troubled or weighted down with all the burdens of this world. Don't allow that to happen. Jesus was preparing His disciples for what was coming. He knew it was inevitable. I'm not getting you out of this. I'm actually helping you to get through what is coming. I want you to know, don't let your heart be troubled because you know something no one else knows. You have something that others do not have. Trust in me no matter what, no matter what. That's the call today of trust. And I pray that the Lord enables that in this season. You say, well, Ben, why? I'm not a prophet and I'm not trying to prophesy to you today. But I believe the things that are coming into our world, I wish I could tell you that I think it's going to all get better and it's going to be cotton candy and carnivals and butterflies and uh, all of that. I wish I could tell you that, but my heart doesn't say that. That's not what it says. When I listen to the Lord, what I hear is that things will be difficult for us. But I also hear the voice of Jesus, take heart, I've overcome the world. Don't let your heart be troubled or weighted down. Trust in God, trust also in me. I think these scriptures are gonna matter to us more perhaps than ever before in the coming days. And if that scares you, then you needed this message today. If you're fearful of that, you need to hear what I'm saying. You need to lock in. Amen, we need to be alive to God in this time. You say, wow, that, what does my faith need to be like? Stronger than it is right now. What does my life in Christ need to be like? Perhaps it needs to be stronger than it has ever been before. Can you hear that today? My walk with Jesus needs to grow and be stronger than it is right now. That's a word. That's a good word, friend. If that's what's coming, that's a great word today. It's not a fearful word. It's not one to worry. It's actually say, look up, 
God is with us. God is for us. God is walking us through this, and we can trust him. When you can't trust anything else, and it all fails and it all falls, you can trust God. In fact, you ought to. Amen. You should. Do it with a smile on your face. Why don't you go ahead and stand to your feet? Let me pray that over you today with a few minutes to spare. Miracles do happen. As you could tell, maybe I'm recovering from being sick, so sorry. I just, ugh. But I'm not sick right now. Amen. You prayed me through that. (laughs) You could still get prayer and I could shake your hand. But would you pray? Would you put out your hands to the Lord? We all want to trust him more. I don't want to show a hands. I, I want us to show him our hands. Father, we thank you today. We come to you in the mighty name of Jesus, and oh, how I want to trust you more. I I do trust you, and if if you trust him, just proclaim that today. Just, I trust you. Lord, I do trust you, but I I want to sustain that no matter what comes. I want to live in a place where I am always turning to you, trusting in you, laying everything at your feet, and allowing you to do your work. And God, we need you right now in this world, in this season of life. As we celebrate Advent, we recognize you are all of these things, and you have brought peace into our life, even when there's not peace in the world. You've brought hope, you've brought joy. And I pray, Father, in this season, more than anything else, that we would increase in our love for you, in our trust in you, and we would lay more of ourselves down than ever before. You deserve that. You're the faithful one. You're the worthy one, and we worship you today. So we thank you that you're trustworthy. Thank you that you've given us your word. May we treat it as an anchor in a great storm. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Thanks for listening today. Pastor Ben's mission is to equip the church to impact the world. If you want to get connected, check the show notes and visit bendixon.org. From there, you can learn about Pastor Ben's other podcasts, the books he has written, Ignite Global Ministries, and the online Immersion Discipleship School.